0: Sleep, I don't, I don't go to sleep and do me a favor don't disturb my friend he's dead
1: tired well what the hell are you saying us you bruised half your body sleeping i uh, i sleep pretty hard
0: welcome to rock and roll bedtime stories
1: my name is brian and hey it's murdoch thanks so much for listening everybody uh you know everybody. I i i don't know if we've ever talked about this it seems like we should have at this point in our relationship do you like ska I used to. I don't. Wait. Okay. Why is it? Why is it the people say they used to? Why is it something that people feel like they outgrow? Because I think Scott's pretty good still. I mean, I definitely, I definitely went through a Scott phase, but I, I still don't hate it. But you're saying I, not for you anymore. I remember seeing No Doubt before
0: No Doubt had any hits. Yeah. Um. And there was, I, I went in the early, early nineties. Uh, I saw Fishbone. And like the fact that fishbone went on first at Lollapalooza and bands had to go on after fishbone. They were amazing. There was a band, a sky band called the urge that was from St. Louis. It was really super good. And, uh, there was a, a band that did Sinatra covers. They were called Skinatra.
1: And <laughs> that's the and, best and, part. The names then, of ska bands, one of the best parts.
0: And and Mephiscopheles, if you didn't yeah. know. Oh, my oh, baloney has a first name. So good. It's
1: 666. Six, six. So for those listening who maybe just haven't ever really encountered the term for some reason, first, I'm sorry because it's delightful. Ska. Uh, second, it can be loosely defined as a musical form that shows up in Jamaica in the 50s and predates reggae. It sort of like takes Caribbean music and puts American jazz with it and stuff, but it goes through a bunch of phases. And by the 90s, it hits what's what we're sort of talking about more, which right. is what, what is referred to as third wave. It gets combined with elements of punk rock, and that's where you start to get bands like Operation Ivy and Muster Plug and the Boston's and all that stuff. But uh, that is the wave of ska I most ride uh, especially, especially the youth group version of that crap. Um, there was—you probably don't know this—but the '90s ska explosion was so big that there was a there was a Christian rock ska explosion, which I would like to just take a moment to mock. Uh, this is a song from the OC Supertones, who arguably the oh, biggest sure. the biggest ska yeah, band. Yeah, yeah. To come out of I the knew- youth group. I even know who these guys are. Uh, this is fun. This is a song called, it, it's very inventive and creative and not straightforward at all. It's called I Love God. Wasn't that bassline, uh, Man, I gotta say, I saw the OC Supertones play an inordinate amount of times in my youth. And you know, like VFW halls and stuff. Um, I want to. I want to know
0: something. What do you want to know? Okay, so you might know something about the Christian ska genre. Okay, that I don't know. So here is my big question. Okay. So the mighty mighty Boston's had a hype guy that just danced the whole time. Mm-hmm. Did Did any of the Christian ska bands have like yeah. a hype yeah. a hype Christian ska guy that would just dance the whole yeah, time and not sing?
1: For sure. Yeah, no, that's, no way. Yeah, I mean, that was th- a thing. Yeah, like the they it, everything in Christian rock, especially in the '90s, was a carbon copy of the cool stuff. Right? It was, like the, it, it, it was like the it was like splenda. Yeah, it's a guy who doesn't
0: sing or play any instruments. He just dances in place like the people at a Flaming Lips concert.
1: L- listen, like, there's there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't have a hype man. All right, like that's <laughs> totally acceptable. Uh, who's jesus's hype man to, <laughs> oh, to john the baptist john the baptist was jesus's hype man
0: thank you don't i i needed to know the answer to that question sir and now i know you said that with such authority <laughs> i know that's the fucking answer
1: it is amen it is whoo man this is not the week i want to know i want to let anybody know that i know anything about fundamental christianity all right, right. um sure. okay we'll just we'll put that back away it, my what? What? six, six, six. <laughs> we just went from Satan to Okay, good. Now, almost as fun as the music are the jokes. Can I throw a few ska jokes your way? See if you can oh. get these. Yeah, I don't even know where you're going with this I so lo- love ska jokes. How many musicians does it take to form a ska band? Three? Uh four. It, it one drops it and then three have to pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> it's like the it's like the
0: the dance move in the mosh pit that's called picking up change yo yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. you're just running around picking up change (laughs) up the floor putting your hands down real low (laughs) yeah Yeah. okay what's the difference between a rhino and a ska band nothing no what is it on a rhino the horns are in the front and the a-holes in the back (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. He's like, drummer? I'm
0: very specific.
1: Oh, man. So why the hell are we talking about ska? I'm going to be honest. Mostly just because I wanted to. We could have just totally skirted by the ska-related detail in this. But I was like, we're going to start with ska today. The second uh, reason we're talking about ska is, have you ever heard of the British ska band called The Executive? The answer is you no. Ha- you haven't. You have not heard of it. No, band. no, you um, never heard of it. But you've heard of two guys who were in that band when they were teenagers. Um, one of them was named Andrew Ridgely, and the other one was named George Michael. Okay,
0: so they, so they, I've never heard the executive. But
1: what are you about to hit me with some of it? Because dude, I'm really, so really I had a hard excited. time finding any of it. So there was one documentary where George Michael talks briefly about being in the executive and they play under it like a little bit, but he's talking the whole time. I'll see if I can dig it up and put it in the show notes. It took me a while to find it, but outside of that, it, there's not much of it that exists. They They tried to make a demo and they did try to get a record deal. So like, it should, in theory, be in somebody's closet somewhere. And I'd like to hear it because I, I do know some of what exists, right? So it, what they were doing was more two-tone, right? Which means sort of less punk, more Jamaica. But they did they did rad covers, man. They did a ska version of Furry Lease. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do. I'm fascinated by all of this. <laughs> they also – no, it gets better. They did a cover – of I Can't Get Used to Losing You by Andy Williams. (laughs) That's such a weird... I had an uncle that was a big Andy Williams guy. Uh, And their pursuit of the record deal doesn't deliver, so they don't last long, and these songs have disappeared. But they last just long enough for George and Andrew to decide maybe they want to do something else musically together. Now... I said that you'd heard of two of the guys in this band, but a lot yes. of a lot of you right now are like, "I've heard of George Michael." Um, okay, let me let me just do a comparison here. Let me read the opening paragraph of each of their Wikipedia pages. All right, I, I just want to know: Are we going to talk about
0: Wham uh, as a thing? Of course. Or are we talking about something else? Of
1: course. We're, no, we're going to talk about Wham. I want to oh know. My, I, oh my gosh! I, let, oh my gosh! Let, let me ask you this wham is it the best band to name themselves an onomatopoeia or is there a is there another one that ranks
0: where's isn't there that there's like some um math rock band that's like ah! or something that has a, <laughs> it's something so, it's something wham is so
1: wham is such such an easy thing so the answer to me is yeah it's the best i remember seeing this band that was sort of a dance rock thing that opened for modest mouse in the early two thousands when I saw them playing this tiny club and they were named exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point when it was written. But when you said it, you said chick, 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 but I don't know if that counts. I don't think that actually counts.
0: No, no. I think wham is the thing. What about oingo Uh, boingo? Is that on a monopoe? I don't think so. Okay. I don't. Th- well, I'm, I don't know. We need someone. <laughs> we need a ruling for this. The thing that's the thing that's weird is like make it big, like the the Wham mm-hmm. record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, I'm thinking that's mine and my wife. We both had that that cassette when really? we were like 11 or so.
1: Real? How sweet. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you get the the wham record before that and you get to hear that they had a they had a song called Wham rap. And so we're gonna talk about wham rap. We're gonna we? we're gonna
1: talk about wham rap in about three minutes. So let I'm me gonna, do this first. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna r- let you take over the reins <laughs> of the wham <laughs> the wham train. Yes. Okay. G- I'm reading from the wiki. George Michael is considered one of the most significant cultural icons of the MTV generation and is one of the best-selling musicians of all time with sales of over 120 million records worldwide. He is known as a leading creative force in music production, songwriting, and vocal performance and visual presentation. He's achieved seven number one songs on the UK singles chart, eight number one songs on the US Billboard Hot 100. Michael won various music awards, including two Grammys, three Brit Awards, three American Music Awards, 12 Billboard Music Awards, and four MTV Music Awards. In 2015, he was ranked 45th in Billboard's list of the greatest Hot 100 artists of all time. The Radio Academy named him the most played artist on British radio during the period of 84 to 2004. Wow. Okay. Eight U.S. number ones, George Michael. Now let's hear about Andrew. So for comparison's sake, let me read the the intro paragraph from Andrew Ridgely's Wikipedia. Andrew John Ridgely, born January 26, 1963, is an English singer, songwriter, musician, and record producer, best known for his work in the 1980s musical duo Wim. (laughs) That's it. Dude, that's it. And that's what I want to talk about. What? Yes. What did he do? What's up with Andrew Ridgely, man? Let's give Andrew
0: Ridgely some do. So so he raced cars. Okay. And that's all I know. Okay, we're going to talk about it. So I want to know if this is a Milly Vanilli thing or Uh, if this
1: is a real thing. So, okay, here's the thing. There's a lot of people, I mean, we're we're jumping way ahead, but there are people who have a less than positive view of Andrew Ridgely for a lot of reasons. And we're going to talk about what those different views are. We're going to talk about why they have them. You're going to get some of my opinion after doing the research and what I really think was happening. And we are going to uh, really talk about these disparate outcomes. In terms yeah. of musical fame and historical notoriety, right? And and I'd like to point out one of the oddest ones too, man, is I think some people were just jelly because he was so damn handsome. Oh, for sure. Okay, let's go back to the start. These guys meet when they are uh, like a 12-ish. Um, George is the new kid at school. Andrew raises his hand to be the guy who guides the new kid. Wow. That's how they meet. What, it's, it's a beautiful what an amazing friendship. story. It's a beautiful friendship. Uh, they start that ska band. And when that's done, they start feeling out doing another musical project together, and they're like teenagers at this point. And one night, Andrew and George and Andrew's girlfriend, a woman named Shirley Holloman, they all go dancing in a club, and the DJ plays Rapper's Delight by the ah. Sugar Hill Gang. That's a fairly new song, because this is the first couple years of the 80s, right? So this is still pretty new. And Andrew starts making up his own words to it. For instance, instead of saying hip, hop hip it to the hip it to the hip hip hop he says something like wham bam i'm the man wham bam i'm the man right (laughs) it's the it's the real song this sends the pair to developing what will come become known as and you've already gotten us here the wham rap
0: And kids, girls and girls. Bam. I am a man. <laughs> <Wham>. <laughs> it, it's so stupid. Sorry. It, it's
1: No, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful that this is how it starts, and I think it's fitting that this is how it starts because this is sort of how it ends, right? We're going to talk about this, but there is this self-awareness that Andrew Ridgely claims to have had all the time But he, I mean, if you go back and read interviews from the time period, he does sort of, he's sort of always said this, which is like Wham is capturing youth and it could only be contained in a very brief, bright firework burst because that's what youth is. And so while George Michael may go on to be a a formidable person in the music industry, Wham could never be that because that's not Wham, that's not what Wham ever supposed to be. Wham was always supposed to be Two dudes dancing with one girl in a club, going wham bam. Thank you, ma'am, to the <laughs> over the top of the Sugar Hill Gang.
0: Yeah, or a man playing a saxophone, but that's for soon.
1: Well, We're so talk about that. Fun yet. fun fact: they come up with two more tunes, and one of them is based on a minor chord riff that Andrew works up on his guitar, and this complimentary melody that George Michael's humming over it. And that is what becomes Careless Whisper, And so that is on the very first demo. Wow. So so Andrew, Andrew Ridgely. He wrote the he, guitar part. Wow. That's
0: interesting. And, you know, when you think about what the guitar part is in that song, it's, you know, it, it's not like some dumb. I mean, you know, it's sophisticated.
1: Yeah. The song is sophisticated. So this is, I, again, this is one of the things we're going to be re- revisiting here. Is Andrew yeah. Ridgely a hack or is he a good guitar player? Roger that. Okay. Okay. So they end up signing to Intervision Records, which was an indie but had a distro deal through CBS. And I want to stop for just a second. I looked up who else was on Intervision Records, and there's not much to report here in terms of things that haven't been lost to history. But there was this band called Jimmy the Hoover. And Jimmy the Hoover had a top 20 hit that Americans never heard. It was a top 20 hit in Britain. But they're notable – uh, because they were a Post Pistols uh, Malcolm McLaren project. Huh. Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. Okay, oh. so what do you call this band meant to capture youthful energy and enthusiasm? And also maybe could you incorporate that first song you wrote in the club while rapping over Sugar Hill Gang? That's why they decide they will call themselves Wham! Damn. Wham, with, oh yeah. With an exclamation point included. Yeah. Now, in a lot of episodes of this show, we would spend a lot of time chronicling the early career of this band, but I'm just going to skip ahead with the spoiler that we have already established, which is they're really successful, uh, crazy <laughs> successful for a very short period of time. Now, we've talked about other bands, specifically in the early 80s. This happens quite a bit where you have these huge firework bands, man. They're just really big for a really short amount of time. Um, and we, we should talk about, you know, are they talented? Sure. George Michael especially is sort of how history has seen it, but they also had really good slash driven slash intense management. Um, I don't know if you know anything about this, but after they had a few hit singles in the UK, but hadn't broken big yet, they get representation from two guys, Simon Napier Bell and jazz summers. And the first thing they asked them to do was to get them out of their contract with Intervision. Um, and that's complicated, and it's not really interesting. They pull yeah. that off, and these guys, Simon and Jazz, but really Simon Napier Bell is the guy who who becomes pretty notable. He he had gotten famous first for taking on the management of the Yardbirds later in their career. Oh, the new Yardbirds? Um, or I'm just not, before. I'm not sure, but okay. He really made a name for himself by knowing how to get attention for his acts, and. <laughs> we get to talk about another really random thing right now. Have have, have you ever heard of John's Children? Do you remember this band? S- what is that? Dude? Pre, Pre-T-Rex pre Mark Bolin. Yeah. So okay. they were like a shock rock band.
0: Okay, yeah. They
1: they named it. I mean, not really. Like, they weren't musically, but they tried to shock. They they were a shock band in the sense that they were a band that liked to shock people. And they named, like, named an album Orgasm. Uh, The BBC banned one of their songs for the lyric, Lift Up Your Skirt and Fly, which sounds more like the BBC's problem than theirs, but whatever. Um, But they were most legendary for this incident with The Who. So, in April 67, they're being managed by this guy who goes on to manage Wham, Simon Napier-Bell and he gets them on a german tour with the who now think about the who and one of the things you think about is the mess and the chaos they cause on stage right
0: yeah and keith moon being in a
1: running around so it would take a lot for a band to upstage the who right
0: yeah i mean this is why they with the concussion bombs and the
1: things, you know, before Hendrix. John's you know. children are really most famous for being so disruptive on stage that the Who kicked them off too. <laughs> 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 They So Bolin used to whip his guitar with a chain. The drummer would just like, I don't know, beat up his set like he would attack it. Um, two of the guys would get into a fake fight every night. They would just like all of a sudden like put their guitars down, and start hitting each other. They would rip up pillows on stage. There was this one time that it got so out of hand that a riot actually happened at one of the the stops on the German tour. And then like the next night, the who almost didn't even get to play because it was so chaotic. So we can't get distracted by Mark Bowen, though we should give him an episode. Uh, But I will say that this gives you a little context about whose hands George and Andrew put themselves into right guys who can take something that may be sort of forgotten history musically and help them make a name for themselves where they will at least be a footnote in a podcast in 2022 if nothing else right and Simon Napier Bell can see that what Wham if Wham is really about youthful energy uh, and whatever it I mean it's sort of meaningless and cheesy so for them, And he, to have the success he craves, he has to make them bigger than the music. It can't be just about the songs. So, how is he going to do this? And he decides he's going to make them historically significant. Do you know what makes Wham! a part of political history? Is it the Choose Life t-shirts? No, though that's a really good guess, right? So, you know, one thing that is in, is in the notes, and we'll, we'll, we might mention later, but I'm glad you brought it up. The one thing Andrew kind of gets credit for, depending on who you talk to, is fashion sense. So I don't know that the Choose life shirts were his idea, but he sometimes sort of gets credit for this thing that Wham does with fashion. So that that's a good point. But what Wham, what Simon does, is Simon spends 18 months with Jazz Summers negotiating a... 10-day visit to China for Wham! They become like, first Western pop group ever to perform in communist China. Huh. So that was a very a very meticulous strategic idea. Oh, 100%. 100%. So they go to the People's Gymnasium in Beijing. They play in front of 12,000 people. And then they do another show in Canton, uh, 5,000 people. And they don't get paid. So it's not about them getting paid. But it doesn't matter because the political significance of this gets them coverage all over the world because this has never happened before. Yeah. And you have MTV. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. Well, and so later, Napier Bell will claim that he personally did things to keep Queen from getting to China before Wham! (laughs) He says, and this is messed up, especially when you actually think about who the people are in this story. But he claims that he, like, when he was negotiating this with China, he showed them some pictures of Freddie Mercury being really flamboyant, and then he showed them, like, the most clean-cut pictures of Wham that he could find to get them Ah. to hedge on Wham instead of Queen. Yeesh. Obviously all very ironic now. Um, Yeah. So the trek to China... Does you mention MTV? It actually gets captured on film by a director named Lindsay Anderson. And there is some controversy around this because Wham's management fires her at the end and fires her whole editing team. And then, like, they have the thing recut. But you can watch this on YouTube. Obviously, it's in the show notes. I'll give you one awesome highlight, which is the scene where George and Andrew are going through a Chinese street market. And they give these vendors, who clearly have no idea who they're talking to, a cassette copy of Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. And they make them play it and uh, 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 you get to watch uh, uh, uh. all of these people who have no idea what is going on clearly be weirded out by wake me up before you go go <laughs> <laughs> yeah they and, play and, that part it's yeah. so strange and,
0: and every time i hear that song and this isn't i just want everyone to know if the, i want when you when you hear that song what is the was the
1: visual in your
0: head the you, gasoline fight from zoolander Yeah, me too okay <laughs> good. all right, same. All
1: right. Let's keep moving. (laughs) Moving on. Okay, so I bring up this film and not Zoolander because it provides us a nice segue into talking about another aspect of this band that gets closer to the question that we started with, which is, why did George have this massive musical career and originally become a footnote? Mm. Now, this is the end of 85, right? If you go fast forward this movie, go to the end and watch the band do Careless Whisper in China and just play a game that I invented this week called Where the Hell is Andrew? Uh, it's very hard to find him. George, oh. it looks like George Michael's doing a solo concert. And Andrew Ridgely is sort of in the shadows playing guitar. Or is he? It's always sort of disputed as to whether Andrew Ridgely really knows how to play guitar very well. And and on the on the 45, which I had... It said, for Careless
0: Whisper, it said Wham! featuring George Michael.
1: Yeah, so there's a whole thing about that, about in certain markets they put it out that way. Like, I think, like, maybe in the UK they didn't. Anyway, it was about trying to break George Michael's a solo artist. So this is calculated, and we'll get to this, but Pop Matters wrote a piece on Andrew Ridgely back in 2009, and they put it like this. Quote, the official biography of the band tends to credit Ridgely for nothing musical, perhaps for guiding the duo's fashion sense, as I mentioned. um, Though, This writer says you could probably say that's the brainchild of Simon Napier-Bell, who I already talked about. But George Michael was busy writing and singing all the songs. Though Ridgely was occasionally seen wearing a guitar, he was rarely seen playing it, even during actual Wham! concerts. Instead, he tended to bounce around the stage like a tween hopped up on too many jelly beans, while occasionally striking faux sexy poses that make the Jonas Brothers seem risque. (laughs) Oh my god. Now, that is what I call um, jaded music journalism. It's not my my favorite. But this description did get me thinking a bit about a modern-day comparison. And this got me thinking back to the days of working in country music. And I would venture to say that modern country still follows this formula when putting together musical duos. They have somebody with the talent and somebody with the looks. And I specifically remember noticing this in the early days of Florida-Georgia line. Ah, do you think one of those guys is better looking than the other? Yeah, congratulations. for sure. I can't tell the difference. For sure. <laughs> yes, Brian. And maybe I'm partial because of his name, but Brian is better looking than Tyler. Um, now, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but in 2013, or whenever that was, it was the first two or two, Tyler did all of the lifting. Brian did almost exactly what this Pop Matters piece attributes to Ridgely quote he tended to bounce around stage like a tween hopped up on too many jelly beans interesting the line that line from that article when I read it for the first time literally thought of sitting in a stadium in Indianapolis watching Florida Georgia line on stage early early in their career and thinking like what is going on first of all why are there so many damn trucks on stage second of all why are they calling this a duo when one guy's doing all the work Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I love talking about rock and roll history. Not as fond about talking about my immune system and my gut health. But if you get in a situation where you are having problems with those things it becomes very very important so let's get you in a place where you're not having problems with those things I say that because Athletic Greens was created by a guy who experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on this complicated supplement routine that cost him 100 bucks a day and he said there's got to be a better way to do this and that's when he came up with this it costs you less than $3 a day it's a lifestyle friendly doesn't matter if you eat keto paleo vegan dairy free gluten free like half of my house any of that is fine this will still work for you and it's going to do things to help your nervous system, your gut health, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, all that stuff. Find out. It's simple. All you have to do is head over to athleticgreens.com emerging and take ownership over your health and pick up a little daily nutritional insurance. They're going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do, athleticgreens.com emerging. Now, back to the show now to further this separation of image attributed to these two guys the press goes crazy on this idea of andrew as drunken lothario now Mm, as you think back about wham do you remember this narrative yep okay i do okay this there's an archived article in the show notes there's several really good ones um but I have one from 1985 from a music magazine called Smash Hits. Did you ever read Smash Hits? I think so. They put, Maybe. They put Andy by himself on the cover, and the, which is rare. That's hard to find. For a story that promises, quote, Andrew Ridgely on what the papers say. Actual names used in the news to describe Andrew Ridgely during this time. I'm not making these up. Arrogant Andrew. Aggressive Andrew. And my favorite, mm. Randy Andy. Randy Andy. Okay. <laughs> At one point he makes a joke in one of these where he's like, I, I wish my name was Theodore or something like that. I forget what it he, was, but he's basically like, what if I was named Truman instead of yeah. Andy, the press would have had to work a lot harder. Um, and this smash hits piece is great because he basically is like, yeah, like some of these things the press says is true, but a lot of them are just, they're paying people off. They're paying girls off to say that they've had sex with me, basically. Um, He also tells this wild story about how the sun tabloid was trying to get an interview with him and he kept just making stupid uh, demands for them to get an interview and they kept agreeing to them and then backing out at the last minute. But like he was like trying to get them to buy him an expensive sports car. (laughs) And there is one more famous incident that adds to this narrative that is worth mentioning briefly. Have, Have you ever heard anything about Andrew Ridgely's nose? Mm, i don't know maybe keep going it's not not about cocaine it's not about cocaine no I, i will give you the very short version of this but basically he has a childhood issue or an injury or something at like nine and they tell him because of growth plates or whatever i'm not i'm not a nosologist i just play one on tv Whatever the reason, he needs to have surgery, but he can't do it then. And he needs to wait until about 20 or 21. So they tell a nine-year-old's family that. Having no idea that that nine-year-old, when he's 21 or 22, is going to be a massive tabloid-ready celebrity. And luckily, he'll be able to keep that on a note card
0: that he got when he was nine that he's just kept for, <laughs> you know, like your vaccine I, I'm sure card. It's his, I'm sure it's
1: his mom. I'm sure his mom is calling like, remember, the doctor said, um his mom is clearly from Jersey, even though he is from Britain. Okay. That's right. Um but Andrew does want to get this surgery, and they have a break at some point to do it. And this is like sort of in the height of wham. And I believe this is the work of Simon Napier Bell, but like I, I, this isn't accidental. They basically leak to the press that Ridgeley's having nose surgery because he got in a fight in a bar. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's a fact. So you can see the snowball effect that all of these individual stories and rumors have in creating a character out of Andrew. He is talentless playboy, along for the ride, good-looking and charming, but kind of an a-hole womanizer. And that is what the press perpetuates. Now, in 2019, Andrew Ridgely finally published a book. It took him forever. Um, And I think it was really the death of George Michael in 2016. I mean, he said it is. That finally spurred him to come out of not hiding, but not being in the limelight. Um, and in this book and in the interview circuit for this book, there's some, there's a clip or two in the show notes from when he was doing talk shows and stuff, promoting this book. He claims that wham was always going to be short lived. And, and I've alluded to this during our conversation. He says now that because it was all about youth and trying to figure out how to grow up, it made no sense to stretch it past an initial phase. And he almost makes it sound like the plan was always to use Wham as a springboard for George. He doesn't quite say that, but he almost does. Now, I suspect this may all be a rewriting of what really happened by a guy who is rich and happy now in his 50s, a guy who's in a long-term relationship with one of the cuties from Bananarama, right? Nuh-uh. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've yeah. been they've been together forever. Um Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who's nostalgic when he's writing this book at the loss of his pal, right? So, it may be that. This may be a rewriting of history a little bit for Andrew's personal narrative. But if you go back to some interviews as it was happening, this story actually stays somewhat consistent. I mentioned all these great archived interviews. There's another one from Chartbeat Magazine. This is in the fall of 85. And it's hard to gauge tone in a basic Q&A format like this, or to know what was left out, but Andrew is either being antagonistic hashtag arrogant Andy, or he's too cool to care here. Here's a sample of this interview. The magazine asks him, why did George release a solo single and you haven't? And Andrew says, cause he's better at it than I am. Then they ask him, do you have any plans to release a solo single? And he says, no. <laughs> and then they say, there've been, there've been recently, uh, some, it, some stories about you taking an interest in being in film. Is this true? And Andrew says, no, not yet, but sounds nice. So after doing all this research, I think there's two narratives you can choose from. I'm going to lay them out both, and then I'll tell you which one I lean towards. One, Andrew was a young kid, because they were like 22 when this all happened. And he took what he could get from the fame machine, and he got out while he was still ahead. And he may be one of the few or only people in music history to have the self-control to tap out. Like he's ah, like yeah. the guy who's at the casino who just won $30,000 and is like, "No, I'm good. I'm 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 out. I'm never going back to a casino again." Yeah. So that is one version. Here's another version. Now, remember how I told you they met when they were in middle school? Yeah. And over the years people have asked Andrew about what George Michael was like at that age, and he he's said that he was kind of awkward. I think you can make an argument that Andy is one of the most selfless people to ever be in the music industry as a performer Hmm. and and that he spent his entire career taking care of his best friend. And he did this by going to the extreme lengths of not just letting his artistic reputation get tanked so that George's could catapult, but by allowing himself maybe even encouraging tabloids to dig into his personal life so that by doing that to him, they wouldn't do it to George. Oh, is this your theory or is this in so, ink
0: somewhere, Brian? So, it's so good.
1: Life's a little too complicated to truly be that simple. You know what I mean? It's never this black and white. So I think there's probably a combo of both of those expl- explanations. But I do think part of Ridgely's initial maneuvering was out of love for George. I think he was protecting his buddy. That first record came out in '83, and "Music from the Edge
0: of Heaven" came out in '86. They were around less than gu- they were around less than Guns and Roses was less than Culture Club,
1: right? Yeah, three and a half years. Yeah. But
0: oh, by the way, music music from the edge of heaven has a a, a Wham! Rap '86 on it. Also has a different corner (laughs) that's by George Michael and not by Wham. Also Uh, another one of
1: those. So, so remember a few uh, episodes back, we got to talking about Christmas singles in the UK. Yes. So there, there's been this thing throughout their entire career. Last Christmas has never been the number one Christmas single in the UK. And the reason it wasn't when it came out was because that was the same year as Do They Know It's Christmas. Oh,
0: they really? Yeah. And, and oh, they, they bumped up against that. But George Michael was in Band-Aid, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So now we come not to, the to be qu- Not to be confused with hearing aid. <laughs>
1: Sorry. <laughs> You know you know hearing aid has been on my on my uh like my scratch list of potential episodes for a long time, but I don't know yeah. that there's enough there for us to get off. We there's may have to not. do a bonus episode about hearing aid. Yeah. Um maybe have we talked about hearing aid on the show? We have a little nah. bit, right? No? Nah. Okay. Maybe no, maybe so they've good. just been in my my research graveyard. Okay. So uh now we come to the question of what the hell happened to Andrew Ridgely after Wham. And yeah you, you mentioned this. <laughs> auto racing now what i think auto racing because we're dumb americans i think like what you probably think being from tennessee right uh you i just you just keep, you don't have to don't don't know how to turn right yeah I yeah yeah, yeah. Hands. so yeah. I, you know in america our heads go to nascar and that subculture but in europe auto racing is some, uh, a high-class endeavor That's right. An endeavor that if you wanted to jump in it at random would cost a lot of money. But guess what Andrew Ridgely has in the mid-80s? A lot of money. A lot of money. Uh, So there's this website, the-race.com. It's this pretty glossy, well-put-together online mag for racing enthusiasts of all types. It's it's, uh, broken out into, you know, if you want to look at, Uh, F1 racing if you want to look at uh, all sorts of racing you can you can sort of click on your category and read different stories and there's this writer named Sam Smith who put together a piece at the end of 2020 looking back at Andrew Ridgely's racing career and it's a really good article and according to this the day after Wham's final concert at Wembley Andrew Ridgely quote attended a Jackie Stewart organized clay pigeon shoot on the eve of the British Grand Prix at Brands Hotch and immersed himself in the racing culture that he believed would become his next profession. The day after Wembley. The wow. day after. So first of all, like, I'm getting old. You know they were young, because I'm getting old enough to where, like, if I have to mow the lawn, the day after, I'm not getting up until, like, noon. Right? Yeah,
0: or, or the rest of that day, it's like, that's the activity. <laughs> <laughs> that's my activity today.
1: Now quote, become his next profession. What does that mean? How does one just become a race car driver? Isn't there a school or some sort of career path for that? Um, short answer is you and I, yes, there would there would be a lot of red tape. Uh, but if you're an insanely famous per- person with a lot of wealth and time on your hands, suddenly it's much more possible. <laughs> in this article, there's a spot where one of the guys in the racing world who helps him break into the scene is quoted as saying, Quote, Andrew was a chill guy who obviously had a ton of money to do what he wanted with. And luckily for us, he wanted to go motor racing.
0: <laughs> so he wanted to go motor racing. So it worked out great for us. So the
1: guys on his side in this pursuit don't seem to be delusional about his chances, right? They're just really excited about the cash. And this is good because Ridgely is not. He is not good when it comes to uh driving a race car. Um he like i learned some technical things about european racing which i did not know um first he tries to do it in britain but there's like requirements one of them like you, i don't know who has to sign this thing but you have to like get a petition signed you have to get signatures like like you're trying to get something on the ballot um, does it have to be signed by that old racist lady in the palace <laughs> yeah, i don't know maybe uh, i don't think it has to, i don't think it makes it all the way up to her but you have to get a bunch of people to like signed that you should be considered in in the racing community or something. I don't know. So he obviously isn't going to mess with all that because he's Andrew freaking Ridgely. So he gets in France. He gets in at France and he's been living in France on and off, I think, because, you know, he's rich and a Lothario. And so he's able to train and race in France. And one of the guys who worked around Ridgely on these auto teams is quoted in this article as saying, (laughs) I can't believe they got this guy to say this. "Quote: I don't actually remember a race where he didn't hit something." It's so funny.
0: <laughs> I want to know: Did he do anything for income, or is
1: he, was he uh, living? Has he been living off royalties so since the eighties? He's so. I mean, skipping ahead, and I actually didn't put this in there because it's not all that interesting. But he does get into uh, to surf culture after this. And he owns a surf shop for a while. So he's done some stuff. But it's like him and Karen from Banana-Rama. And so they're both just probably living off royalties. I mean, those Banana-Rama songs, they had like three of them, and they were huge. And then he had all those Wham! songs. So they're probably set.
0: Yeah, I mean, it started 40 years ago, though. That's what's crazy. Yeah, I know.
1: So um, they also talk about these mechanics who remember Ridgely mostly because he was dating uh, Donia... Fiorentino at the time. And they couldn't get their jaws off the floor when he brought her around. Uh, she had already dated Don Johnson. So she quits dating Don Johnson to date him. And then later she will marry both David Fincher and then infamously Gary Oldman at the end of the 90s.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's an interesting dating life.
1: It's it's quite the CV. Uh, but the main takeaway is this. And I'm going to read from the article the thick skin and quality of not taking himself too seriously. And they're sort of alluding to this, I guess, from his musical career was certainly required as the year went on. It soon became clear that Ridgely quote, just plainly didn't have the capability at that level. And this is, I should explain this is F three racing. So my limited understanding is that you're trying to shoot for F one. This is like triple a ball. Um, yeah, okay. But he's an F three and, uh, Ridgely's incidents culminated during the annual visit to the remote Albi circuit in September. He became entangled in a six-car first-start melee that hospitalized one driver and sent another barrel rolling. Ridgely plowed into the wreckage and was lucky to not have been injured himself. Perhaps it was this incident, combined with a distinct lack of progress throughout the year, that meant his appetite for racing faded away. Someone from the team's quoted at the end of this paragraph to say, I recall at the time a massive trash can crammed full of bits and pieces of his car,
0: <laughs> a massive trash can. Oh. So,
1: so that's it. And then he's like out a day. Like, I don't even know it lasts a full year. I will say the last thing he does in, in racing, and this is just fun as a music fan is he's able to race in some sort of like charity um, thing. And I think this is back in Britain and also racing Mark Knopfler. Oh, I didn't know that Mark <laughs> Knopfler raced. I don't think he does. I don't think he does. I think he just does for charity, which is what Andrew Ridgely should have done, but he was rich and bored enough to be able to do this uh, on his own for a while. Um, yeah. Wow. So, well, I loved
0: wham and I wouldn't want to tell another damn human. And I have told many
1: <laughs> Just now. Well, when I was putting this together, I was like, is this one of those bands like culture club that Murdoch loved? I just, what I love about you is that you sort of loved everything, especially in the early eighties, like, cause you were just so music hungry. And so it's really fun. That's part of the reason it's so fun to talk about eighties music subculture with you as you and why you know so much about it is you were so immersed in all of it. Now, you may not know this, but here's, here's what we should leave with, uh, which is that CBS Records had an option left in the Wham contract that specified that they could have solo albums if they asked for them from George Michael and from Andrew Ridgely. Oh. And in 1990... They decide for some reason to enforce it. And so Andrew Ridgely has to put out a solo album. It's called Son of Albert. It comes out in 1990. His brother plays drums, and there's one single on it that does okay in Australia, and that's it. And critics critics disparaged it. Uh, it's referred to as one of the worst received albums of 1990. It got a half star in Rolling Stone magazine. <laughs> now did it suck or did Andrew Ridgely really not want them to call the option for the second solo album? Because they did not after, yeah. after this album, they were not asking for a second one. And then he's pretty much never been back to yeah, you music. get
0: dropped. You just present something that stinks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you want to read more and learn more about Andrew Ridgely's perspective on this whole thing, uh, Wham George Michael and me, is the name of the memoir. It's only been out a few years, and uh, it is pretty damn good. And and,
0: and we're not going to cover it here, but if you're interested in George Michael's solo career, there's <laughs> things on the internet about that everywhere.
1: Maybe we will. Maybe we will at some point. Uh, I you know it is fun because there, it's just interesting when you hear all this about Andrew Ridgeley during the Wham years, being the one who was sort of fascinated about and. Projected as this sort of sexual deviant almost, and then right. you, and then he just sort of is like cashes out, and then you have George Michael in the limelight, and he actually does all this stuff. I, I honestly, right. I would buy Andrew Ridgely if he was like, yeah, I, I actually was celibate during all of Wham. Like, they just reading about him, I think so much of what he allowed the press to to write up was just garbage like i don't think any of it was real it would be amazing if your
0: theory is true and it's sort of like andy
1: kaufman light you know it's like it almost is man and and you know what's really interesting though i'll tell you what got me thinking about this i have a wham t-shirt i also love wham and i'm not afraid to let people know And I was, quick side note, I was in an elevator in a conservative state uh, in the Midwest recently, and a guy looked at me in the elevator, and he looked like what you would think a guy at 9 o'clock in the morning in an embassy suites wearing a baseball cap and some jean shorts would look like. And he goes, oh, wham, huh? And I was like, yeah, I wasn't actually at the show, ha, 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 but, you know. And he goes, yeah. I definitely wouldn't have gone to that show. And I was like, what the hell's wrong with you, man? Like, <laughs> no, no thanks. I don't, I don't need you to just tell me you're homophobic. Like, I'm good. Um, anyway, on that T-shirt, if you look in the corner of it, I just happened to be like, the light hit it. I don't know. Maybe I just stare at my own stomach. I don't know what was happening. I don't know why I saw this. But in the very corner of that T-shirt, under the photo, <laughs> there's a copyright. And guess who the copyright is to? Andrew Richley.
0: Yeah. It's wait. So what's copyrighted?
1: Is it the logo or the the image? The image.
0: And is the image the make it big image?
1: It's the one where they're next to each other and it says "wham" above, and it's the '86 tour or whatever. You've seen it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what that shirt is. Yeah. So, so okay. Andrew Richley's getting my money. Which is awesome. And that's what I was super stoked when I saw that. And that's what sent me down this looking into this. And we've always, I mean, we should have done Andrew Ridgely before episode 100 because this is, this is a big thing. this whole yeah. idea of like the other guy in Wham. I mean, this is like the punchline to jokes on Family Guy, right? Like this is in the pop culture, this idea that one guy from Wham was super famous and the other one wasn't. We should have we should have hit this a long time ago. But when I saw that, I became fascinated because I was like, wait. He's getting paid. In all of these stories about guys just getting totally hosed out of all their money, somehow Andrew Ridgely owns the copyright to a t shirt you buy on the internet. And I don't know, um, or at least to the image. Um, and, and I don't know how that trickles down, but it doesn't say George Michael or estate of George Michael or whatever, right? And you know, I don't know if you know this the, the estate of George Michael. Was like a really weird thing when he died. Did you follow any
0: of that? Maybe, but uh, yeah, it was Christmas.
1: Yeah, so it was Christmas of 2016. And then, like, over the next year, it came out that he had divided his fortune up among 12 people. Oh, yeah. And Andrew Ridgely wasn't one of them. Yes. Most of them were family. And, like, he was really close with his sisters. And so his sisters got a lot, um, which all made sense. But, like, what befuddled people about it is that they knew that he'd edited it within the last. 10 years or something, but it was when he was in a period of high drug use and they were very concerned because it sort of looked like time capsule. Like it was like people who were important to George, like in 88 or whatever, but like not people who should have been important to him in 2016. And so it was strange, but like they called people and people were like, Oh, it was really nice that George left me something. I haven't talked to him in decades. You know what I mean? Like that sort of thing happened. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Andrew's getting paid somehow and that makes me happy and I could I looked pretty hard on the internet to try to figure out like how that breaks down or what he owns or how you know if any of the if it all defaulted to him but I couldn't find anything about it so I don't know but he's living his best life with uh, the chick from Bananarama and I'm happy for him
0: yeah And what a great story. I mean, Brian, it's like one of those things that everyone wants to know about. And I know that in the past couple months, it's come across my mind of like, what the hell did Andrew Ridgely actually do? And now I know he was more than just a pretty
1: face. He actually had a lot of heart in this story. A lot of heart. And also a terrible race car driver. Uh, That's correct. If you've got something you want us to look into, uh, if one of these things is in the back of your head, if like Murdoch, you were thinking, what happened to this guy or that girl or this bad? Uh, Shoot us an email. It's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. We love to look into that stuff for you. And you can check out everything we're doing. Wearethestoryguys.com. And please, uh, check us out on Patreon. Throw us a few bucks if you like the show. Also, tell your friends and leave a review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the normal places. And... What should people keep doing until next time, Murdoch? Keep sending us mail and keep telling telling us stories. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright
0: Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.